everyone dreams of living an uncommon life. And the best asset you have to achieve your dreams is you. Welcome to the Uncommon Wealth Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living uncommonly. We're also going to give you some tools and strategies for building wealth and for pursuing an uncommon path that is uniquely right for you. Welcome, everybody, to Uncommon Wealth, the podcast that you love, I love, we all love. It's a new name, new facelift, rebranded, Uncommon Wealth. That's our brand. Uh, And we chose wealth uh, very strategically because we thought being rich, I'd rather be wealthy. And yeah. for us, it's so different. And so wealth is all the aspects of your life, not just your finances. So here at Uncommon Wealth, we really do try to uh, pour into you, see how you're gifted, and then we try to use your money to get you to the ultimate end of where you don't ever want to retire. Yes. So Aaron Kramer, you're on the show. I'm on the show. Here I am. But we have another person on the show. Not only do we have another person on the show, it's yeah. a whole new name. We have video too. Holy buckets, Batgirl. Here we are. Yes. All right. So I'm going to get our guests on the show. I can't wait to unpack this story. This is going to be fun. Politician. Yeah. You just stop your mouth right now. Here we go. Sarah Throne Garriott. Uh, she's an Iowa State Senator for Waukee, of all places. Uh, West Des Moines, Clive, and Windsor Heights. So a couple more. Uh, and she is an ordained minister serving as coordinator of interfaith engagement for the Des Moines Area Religious Council. Man, we've got a lot to cover. Do you have yes. any children? I do. I've got two kids. Okay, two kids and a mother. Holy cow. Uh, welcome to the show, Thank Sarah. You. Yes. All right, so first, this is the first politician that we've ever had on the show. Yeah, it's going to be fun to unravel this. Yeah. So excited for it. How did you get here? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think of myself as a politician. I like that. I, you know, my dad's an auto mechanic. My mom's a nurse. No one in my family's ever run for office, and I never planned on running for office either. Yeah. But there are all these times in my life where there's an issue that I want to work on or a need that I feel called to address. Yeah. And there are these different roles that I get to take Gosh. on in order to do that work. We're going to be friends, Sarah. I can tell you that yeah. right now. Instead of fun. sitting back in armchair quarterbacking, you're like, no, nope, give me the, give me the, give me the ball. I want in. Yeah, but like, where's that time? Like, so you went into school to be, you know, ministry. So really? You, yeah. So I mean, here you're going to go. We got to unpack that. Okay, Wait, let's unpack that. Where did you go to school? Where'd you graduate? Um, so I actually went to college in northern Minnesota. I wasn't planning on leaving northern Minnesota, so I went no to a school does. just down the road, yeah. the College of St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota, a little private um, liberal it. arts school, um, but it wasn't necessarily the right place to go for a history degree. That's what I was studying. A lot okay. of people there were doing um, physical therapy and nursing, okay. so that's really what it was known for. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I generally knew that I was interested in history. Yeah. I thought maybe I'd want to teach. Maybe I'd go to law school. But I graduated with this just, you know, I just didn't know where what I was What did you graduate next. with? Um, so I graduated with a history degree. Okay. I finished in three years because it was important to get Sarah. it done quick. Yeah, I yeah. had to pay for school myself. Yes. If you don't know what you're doing, get it done quick. Yeah. Let's go. Well, yeah. and my parents um, said, you know, they... They wanted me to get a technical degree. They wanted me to become a nurse or get something right. where I could get a job. And I said, no, I'm really interested in these topics, 
but I don't know what I want to do with it. So I knew I couldn't get a job with a history degree. That is what I've been told over and over again in my life. So I, after awesome. graduation, I joined AmeriCorps. I was an AmeriCorps yeah. VISTA volunteer for a year in Gallup, New Mexico. Okay. And very different from northern Minnesota. I was one of about... <laughs> 15% Anglo. That's what they call white people in town. <laughs> Anglo. It was mostly Navajo um, and then somewhat um, Hispanic okay. and then Anglo. And I was working for a legal aid program on a domestic violence project. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to law school. So this is how this is I can learn about that career. And yep. what I ended up finding was that there were a lot of problems with religion mm. related to violence against women. And so I talked to a lot of people who had been told by their faith leaders, you know, this is your cross to bear. God is punishing you through your husband. Oh, wow. Don't wow. leave um, because it's against God's will. And the church was really a barrier to people getting help. And so I thought, well, maybe I can educate faith leaders on how to be better at what they do. Yeah. And so I did a conference for faith leaders on domestic violence. And Good. That kind of put me on a path to thinking about ministry. Sure. Okay. That's, wow. Dude, that's, that's really good. Here's, yeah. here's one. You were barking down the right tree because it's like, so I'm super plugged into my church and hearing the stories on stories of how leadership in churches have been like, let's just push this under the rug, how damaging that is. Yeah. And they just don't, they've never been equipped to be like, no, we, there's got to be a better way. Well, and the first faith leader that I reached out to in the community to say, hey, would you help me plan this conference? He said, why would we want to talk about that? Church isn't where you bring your problems. What? And that didn't feel right to me. Something seems off here. Yeah, yeah. that didn't feel right to me. Yeah, so I was like, oh, sure. come on, you know, just humor me, be part of the planning. And so he helped with the conference. And at the end of it, he said, now I see why this is important. It was happening in my community, and no one ever trusted me enough to tell me. Very good. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, okay, good so for the- you not to like, just punch him in the face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you kind of wanted to. Let's just be honest. I was 21 years old, so I was like, hey, great. I'm glad you learned something. Kill him with kindness, Sarah. Yeah. So then you went to ministry school. Well, not yet. Okay. Um, Okay. Keep going. Don't rush us. Don't rush us. Yeah, I went back to Minnesota because I thought, well, that was my plan, always to return home. Yep. And I started working for a program that, um, assisted victims of sexual assault. Okay. And again, lots of religious issues I was running into oh in that program. And so I applied to graduate school thinking, well, maybe I could go learn more about my faith community, about Christianity, because there were so many folks having really negative experiences with their church. And I had a friend um, say to me, thank you for being the only good Christian I know. And I said, wow, you know, I really well, don't wow. know what it means to be a good Christian. I grew up in the church, but right. couldn't articulate that. Right. And I said, I know there's good things in my tradition. So I went to graduate school right. to figure that out. And then the Where la- at in graduate school? Graduate so school. Um, I went to Harvard Divinity School. Oh, whoa. And Ooh-ah. the last day of my orientation before we started classes was September 11th. Oh, wow. So, again, there were all of these issues, heavy heavy issues that were happening. And the campus is really diverse. So we have people from all different religious backgrounds and folks who are not religious. right. Um, And so I ended up working a lot with the Muslim students on campus because a lot of folks were feeling just very – there was a lot of animosity towards the Muslim community. 
And so I organized some events for the students um, around Ramadan, which is a holy month in oh, yeah, yeah. Islam. Huge thing for them. Yeah. And it was a really great learning experience for me. Um, and I met a bunch of folks who were becoming Presbyterian ministers who took me to their church in South Boston. And it was this great experience of yeah. like really organic community where everyone mattered and it was yeah. doing important things. And I'd never experienced church that way. And so I started thinking about the possibility of becoming a minister, but I wasn't quite ready yet to do that. Yeah. And so after graduation, I thought I'd go back into the nonprofit world, but it didn't work out for me. I was waiting tables. Um, and non-profiting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I <laughs> non-profiting I was not profiting. Um, <laughs> and I ended up working as a personal assistant for this wealthy family, and it really wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. And right. I made a bargain with myself and with God, I guess, yeah, yeah. There it was. saying, okay, I, I'm going to explore this ministry thing. So I spent a year in an educational program to learn how to be a hospital chaplain, okay. which is something Very that cool. a lot of ministry programs require you to do. Mm-hmm. And I was in Philadelphia. I worked in this very busy inner city hospital as a chaplain in, in residence, and um, had some really terrible traumatic the experiences. Fire, right? Yeah, the first right. night I was there, uh, I didn't even know how the pager worked, and I had to baptize um, twin babies that were being coded in the NICU. Oh, Sarah! And it was it was really a hard time. Um, lots of difficult experiences, but I came out of that year saying, "Okay, I survived that. I can be a minister. Wow. You know, I yeah. can handle that." You so, could have gone one of two ways there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could have gone forward or could have gone backwards. Truly, like that is, you are getting thrown in with like the the hardest situations. And you pulled in like, hey, I'm doubling down on this. Yeah. Very and, cool. And so I went to um, seminary in what, Chicago. How old are you at this point? Um, at 20 that point, three? I'm 26. 26, okay. 26. 26. And. Okay. Um, there was a Lutheran seminary in Chicago yep. that I started classes at, and I worked on the weekends as a chaplain at the Children's Hospital in Chicago. Okay. So again, um, some really challenging situations, some hard experiences, but it was one of the best experiences I've ever had for par- preparing for ministry or being in the current role I have, is that my job was to walk around the building at night and visit with the nursing staff, the security staff, the people who worked in the cafeterias, the parents who were awake all night, um, the kids who couldn't sleep, and build those relationships and be really present for what they needed. And Mm -hmm. so then I built that trust. And they would call me, not just for the bad things, but for all kinds of needs. And then I was much better to be able to respond when there was a crisis. And there were a lot of them Shepherding God's people. Shepherding God's people. Yeah. And there were people from all kinds of different backgrounds. So, you know, lots of different religions and cultures and folks who weren't religious. But through it, I was trying to help them um, navigate some really difficult times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. Okay. Uh, You're married. Yes. Correct? Two children. Girls? Boys? Two around? boys. Two boys. Oh, boys. Homies. Okay. <laughs> so how long have you been married? Um, so my husband and I met in graduate school at Harvard. Okay. Oh. That's what my next point was. Tell me how that interwove in the story of the relationship and how did he support you through, man, probably some really, some big tears, alligator tears at some point. <laughs> 
Um, so my husband is incredibly supportive of me. Um, as I was discerning, he was really open to what that could mean. Right. If we had to move somewhere for me to do school, we took turns while he was doing his PhD. We were living in New Jersey and Philadelphia. Right. When I wanted to go to seminary, we moved to Chicago. Very cool. Um, and he understands that, you know, in my my job, um, there are ways he can be supportive and helpful. And one of the congregation members refer to him as being like the guy married to the queen, where you just need to kind of yeah. smile not, and love not it. cause trouble. Yeah, and, right. But um, it's a lot more than that. You yeah, know, he's sure. he's a really great positive presence in my life. Right. And he's a great parent. And I certainly couldn't do any of the things I'm doing right now without him. Right. Because right now he's the primary parent who's holding it all together yeah. while I'm campaigning and working oh, and man. Um, serving in the legislature. Awesome. Yeah, running hard. Okay, so you get, uh, you're, you're now, you got your license through the Lutheran College, or you got, you graduated. Yep, I graduated. So we have um, an ordination process that kind of runs parallel to your education. And so my first call, my first parish was in rural Virginia. Okay. My husband... Going east. My yeah. husband um, finished his PhD in anthropology. Anthropology. And, yep. And Seriously. He's, and he studies the American legal system. And so his first job was in Virginia. And so I had to restrict to the state of Virginia to be somewhere near. But luckily, there were a lot of Lutherans in Virginia, a lot of congregations. And so we ended up living 45 minutes away from his university so I could serve a parish um, in a really rural community. It was just a crossroads. Um, And we were about 20 miles from the nearest grocery store. Oh, wow. So you're really out there. How many people in the congregation? Um, it varied. <laughs> you know, our, our regular worship attendance was probably around 80. Okay. Oh, wow. So it was a good sized community and such a vibrant community because we had a rescue squad back there, the right. you know, volunteer EMS. Right. Um, we had our own community fair every summer. Oh, that was baby. Like 5,000 people would come a night to attend this fair. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, we had a very active community center. And there were quite a few churches, so there was always a lot going on in this community. Yeah, right. um, but we were pretty remote, and it was a great place to be. Um, but I was always Pastor Sarah to everyone, right? And so that was tough too, it because is. I was very much a part of the community, but at the same time, we had no friends. Yeah, oh. right. Um, Real friends yeah, that you can get down with, right? Uh, congregation members, I'd hear, oh, they had a um, Halloween party. And everyone Nothing. was invited, but not us. But not Sarah. Yeah. What's your husband's name? Will. Will. Not Sarah and Will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was it was tough because we were of the community, but not really. We were never going to be from there. And yeah. even people who were born five miles down the road weren't considered to be from there. Wow. And so a lot of the families who lived in that community had been there for many generations. Like their great-grandparents settled. Gee. So Isn't that then, interesting because you're part of the church, and so you think you'd be brought in, yeah, part of the community. Yeah, you're so in the quickly. family, yeah, yeah. not but, so much. You know, there's always a it's a different kind of relationship that you have with people. It and is. You have to have good boundaries as a pastor because you're there to help these people and be supportive of them, right. and yet at the same time you can't really go to them to have them meet your needs. Right, right, yeah. Um, and so having friends, having um, community outside the church was challenging, but mm-hmm. I had a really good group of ministers. And we would drive like an hour every week to gather for coffee and study scripture. Life-giving. And it was really, really important to me to have those, yeah. those colleagues. Yeah. yeah, as it should be. 
Okay, any babies by this time? Yes. Um, there so, we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if it wasn't hard, just throw a baby on yeah. it. Well, uh, so we had our first child about a year after I started at the parish. And that was a tough um, delivery. Well, the delivery was just fine. But our congregation, our denomination was going through some changes. Uh-huh. And we had a big change in how... We determined who could be a leader in the church, and the church, um, national church, Split. made a decision that people who were in same-sex relationships could be pastors. And so, initially, my congregation was doing fine with it, mm-hmm. but there was a group of people really agitating and saying, no, this is not okay, we need to leave the denomination. And so, while I was on maternity leave, and I was only gone for four weeks, mm-hmm. they so held off. a meeting about leaving the denomination, and it was very hurtful. Um, and also really upsetting because suddenly we had moved to Virginia, we had started a life there, right. we had a baby, and it looked like I might be losing my place, my 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 call. Right. Um, things could be really falling apart, and so that was really tough. Without on you us. being there to like and, have and, a voice, yeah, that's the worst. You're part. like a fighter. Clearly, we've learned this so far. <laughs> they shut me out, and it, that was really hurtful. So. Yeah. Ten days later, when I not was surprising back, though, for the record, yeah. like you're not of us. Does that make sense? Like you can be a, uh, you're not us. Sometimes Sounds when right. when folks are upset, they do hurtful things that they would never do, and mm-hmm. and you know that just doesn't seem like them. Right. So when uncharacteristic. I, yeah. When I came back, I visited with everyone one on one, went out and talked to almost all the members, and said, you know, how are you doing with this? What are your feelings? And I was really clear about where I stood, that right. if the congregation left the denomination, I couldn't go with them. Right. Um, that that wasn't something I was willing to do. And found out that not that many people really were upset about it and wanting to But the ones to that were, yeah. were very Were very upset. upset. And so um, they ended up resigning from the congregation and leaving the church, which was really hard for the people because they had been, you know, neighbors and friends. They did life together with them. I mean, going back, you know, truly generations with families being connected, it was really hard for the people. And so I na- helped them navigate that process about, you know, yes, I know you're mad at your friend, but mm-hmm. we've got to love them and you have to right. let them go if this is not what they're comfortable with and find a way to come together when they do come back. Cause they would come back for funerals or wow. other holiday celebrations. Right. I mean, it was a small community and we came through that time a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still say, even though it was such a rough time that I was one of their best pastors they ever had. Wow. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then you moved to, at some point you moved to Iowa. So my husband had been on the job market every year looking for a better position because in the state of Virginia, they had frozen all state employee salaries. And that we came in 2008, so Hmm. just as the recession was beginning. And that was really tough to be in a position where each year you know you're losing ground financially. um, And then to be told, hey, go find another job. We'll find someone else. Doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel yeah. great. And then the college well. president also gave himself a very significant bonus during that time when no one else was getting raised. Feels even better. Yeah. <laughs> so that was <laughs> so getting worse. Yeah. Great. Um, but so he was looking and he was offered a job at Drake. Oh. And it was really the perfect fit for him. The right kind of department, 
um, really great feeling for the university. And so he said, what do you think about Iowa? And I'm like, well, I've never really spent any time there. What do you think? And but it might say, be time for Sarah to support Will. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. And so I said, okay, let's go. And we moved to Iowa with no real plan about where we were going to live. Yep. Um, we figured we'd figure it out once we got here. So we had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Yeah. And two dogs. And there you go. And we didn't realize how long it would take to actually purchase a home. So for about two months after we got to Iowa, we were essentially homeless. Sure. We stayed with friends, and we traveled all over the country while we were waiting to close on our house. Hmm. Wow. And that was... It was a good time, but it was a hard time always trying to plan ahead for the next move and where we would stay and where we could go yeah, um, while we were trying ones. to yeah, fine. trying to um, take time before we could move into our home. Um, but it's been a great place to live and to raise our kids. And where did you find the home? So we moved to a house in Windsor Heights. Yep. Radar Heights, everyone. Radar yeah. Heights. For those who know, no. You know what well, I'm saying? <laughs> when, when you've got kids and there are it's no okay. sidewalks anywhere, you want Feels those good. cars driving slow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I would have liked the speed limit to be 15, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you decide like, hey, I want to, I got some things or some issues that I want to go tackle. I'm going to this whole political route. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And we're here. Yeah, and we're here. Yeah. 20 minutes in. So I am sorry. Sarah's, that's no, good. No, I, She's that good. good. I'm super excited about so this good. part. I have a long, meandering story. That's so. a great story. I'm glad we went there because it's like, I do too. so much more. I think I'll just, I'll just jump in here. Like, okay. how does this have anything to do with finances? Here's the deal. At the end of the day, the reason why we reached out to Sarah is because she actually loves her life. And every day... People would say that she works. I feel like you'd say that, like, no, I just get to enjoy life and love it. So that's why we at Uncommon Wealth really do want to help people use their money to go after and love their life every day so they don't feel like they're working. And when you get to this point, man, your whole per- paradigm is shifted into, like, maybe it's not about amassing all this wealth in this 401k or some kind of account. Maybe it's about impacting people today with the, the talents and resources that I have currently to be able to enjoy people. Obviously, Sarah loves people. And it's fun to just see the background and history of how this all has kind of been you, and now what you're doing now seems like very synergistic to your history. So that's why now we're going into political things. Sorry. Yeah. Now it's Aaron's show. Well, so this is great. Take so, like, it, big what, dog. So I always, like, that's, okay, so politicians in general, you're just like, oh, this is gross. We've talked about this when we grabbed coffee, but what made you want to jump? Because I feel like when we had coffee, to back up there, like, you agreed with me on this, like, yeah, that's hard, but you made that jump to want to do that. So what was a couple big things that you were like, screw it, I'm going to go make a change? <laughs> so um, we've had the experience of having to go through change a lot in in our life together as a couple we've moved so many times um we've had to start over and every time you enact a change it's a risk um beginning something new but there's always great things to be experienced and so i started as a minister at faith lutheran church in clive and i was serving there and we got a call one day from our state senator for that church and for my district because i lived in the community um, asking if we'd come do a prayer for the opening of the Senate session. Hmm. And so I said yes. Yeah, I mean. Um, and I led the prayer that day and got to meet my state senator. F- for the first time, I paid attention to state government because I had never 
thought about state government before. And so being in that chamber, noticing the people there, Mm. starting to think about the decisions that were being made in that room, um, I really started to get more engaged. And there were a few issues that were on my mind. Public education. You know, when we came to Iowa, I'm like, Iowa's great. They've got amazing public schools. I'm really excited about this. Mm -hmm. But every year I saw the funding not keeping pace with the rising cost of doing business. And then a lot of new needs coming to the school system that they couldn't, you know, they tried to respond to. And um, I also am a parent of two kids. And when the Newtown massacre happened, it devastated me. Mm. And I was aware that there were some new proposals to allow anyone, no matter what age, to handle handguns with a parent supervision. And thinking about my children, that was really frightening to me. Sure. And um, so I got involved with a group called Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense because I knew there were a lot of other mothers out there who felt the way I did, who were really concerned about the growing threat of gun violence to our children. Mm-hmm. And so I started showing up at the Capitol for advocacy events. I started going to my state senator's legislative coffees. I started bird dogging him at events. I yeah, didn't know did. that's what it was <laughs> called, but I would be like, oh, hey, and make a beeline right to him and I start asking him questions about policies or votes that were coming up. And when I realized that he was going to be running for re-election, um, it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started thinking about it a lot. I actually had a dream about him buying new yard signs for his campaign and waking up so angry, <laughs> thinking somebody has to run against him. And I thought, oh, no. This could be me. That might have to be me. Yeah, Because I had met other women who were in similar places in their life who had run for state senate. And um, I realized that oh. it wasn't something that other people had to do. It was something that... I could do. And I cared about my community and it was a way to address some issues that were really important to me. And so I told my husband, I'm just going to learn about what it means to run for office. I'm going to do a training program. I'm not going to do it really. Yeah. But, and he said, Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Here. Yeah, it is a slippery Sarah. slope. Um, and I decided that, that I would do that. And making that leap of faith was really, really hard because I knew it would put me out there in a different way. And it would ask a lot of me and my family that we had never offered before. And being a minister, I was a pretty public person in a lot of ways. And I've had people be very angry at me as a minister. I've felt my safety was threatened as a minister. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's quite a political position sometimes, though the issues are more like what color is the carpet? People can get very upset about that. Right. And so I ran in 2020, and my state senator ended up not running for re-election. He decided to retire instead. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. So it was interesting, um, because I had been running for about six months, and then when the time came to put his name on the ballot, he decided not to. And so I instead ran against the mayor of Clive, who had been mayor longer than I'd lived in Iowa. And nailed it. Got it. I got it. It It was a bad year for Democrats. And I was one of the only Democrats to win in the state. And oh, wow. one of the only ones to flip a seat. Okay. Wow. So I, I wouldn't say that election night was celebratory. Yeah. I felt really bad for a lot of folks I knew who ran and didn't win. And then my margin was really close. Sure. So, and I knew I was going into that first session 
Yep. Um, you had a in the super minority. Yeah. Right. So I was like, wow, what have I gotten myself into? This is not going to be fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So first day you're now a Senator. What was it like? Um, it was disorienting because the pandemic had been going on for about a year at this point. Okay. And there were really differing opinions about how we should respond to it. And so um, I was one of the people who was wearing a mask in public and really concerned about the risk right. because the numbers were pretty high at that point. And I had a lot of colleagues who weren't wearing masks and mm-hmm. um, weren't taking any safety precautions. And so that was a little unsettling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know, really overwhelming just to try to figure out how does this system work? What is happening here? And because of COVID, everything was a little different. Right. The Capitol was almost empty every day. If you go down there during the session now or before, it, it's full of people. It's yep. noisy. It's loud. Hustle There's a lot going right. on. There was nothing happening and no one was there. Kind of ghost was, townish. It was really interesting. And wow. so as I was learning how to navigate the system, I was trying to educate other people about what was happening in the system. How can you be part of it? What's going on? How does state government work? Because it's not apparent to all folks. It's a really strange system. Right. It's a foreign language for sure. It is. That's why they had to take a class on how to figure it out. (laughs) And so um, I did a lot of tweeting and posting. I would make little videos about how to navigate the legislative website how to take part in subcommittee hearings, because to me it's really important that the people are part of the process. They heard, right. And all the way along, there's all these opportunities. But mm-hmm. um, so many folks just don't know where to begin. And so I try well. to help people be part of our state government, because I know we're better when they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Sure. That's awesome. Very cool. So, because I don't, I got to throw this out there, because this is fun. When I first met you, I always tell people, like, oh, I like Sarah. The first time I met her, she came out because I was out there lobbying for the financial uh, uh, world and everything. Gotta love him. NAFA. But anyways, I asked you if you were going to like support this bill that I was going to go through, and you just gave me this look like, I mean, it was very, like a serious, mean look, and there's like, no. Oh, oh wow. No, I like Sarah. This, this is great. Sarah, Sarah this is good. Like, because we were like talking business. Intense. And it was like, no. And I'm like, oh, I like this. You were so honest. Because like most politicians are like give you this roundabout like we'll just right. talk about it and then you walk away like I don't know I don't what know it thinking. just happened yeah yeah and you just told me no I was like sweet and I asked if we could talk about it you said yes and we did I don't actually know what you ended up voting but it doesn't matter the fact that you were just so honest with me it was like this life giving yeah like because so many politicians like there's you call them like hey why did you vote this way like have you seen my votes and it's like I'm looking at them oh well, you were gonna lie to me yeah like. I mean, you know, there's a record of what we do. So then there's that. I, I'm there's pretty that. sure I, I did a little more than just say no to you, though. But, you know, well, I'm glad you felt like I was being really direct. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we, we had a really good conversation. Yeah, yeah no, no, it was great. I just, it was the direct and like being like, it wasn't, there was going to be no. You saying no is like a compliment in Aaron's eyes. Yeah. I'm sure you said more. Yeah. Yeah. You said, yeah, you did, you did say a lot more. It was just the no is what resonated because when you talk to politicians, most like it's like just like try to I don't know you were so direct you told me what you thought and I was like I love this like yeah. even if we don't disagree like I like know where you stand and I I can get behind that right. even if we disagree right you know it's hard because um, in the political world bills will have so much in them and the bill we were talking about was this huge tax proposal that had lots of different parts and so there are good things in it 
that I can get behind, but then there are things that I was just not okay with. And you have to vote on the whole thing. You can't separate yeah, it out. Yeah. And that's that's really tough because, you know, if you got to pick and choose what you wanted to vote yes on, it would be very different. Yeah. Um, and then you see in the political ads how those votes are presented as, oh, they voted against right, this. It's right. like, well, it wasn't really that that I was opposed to. It was this other thing. Um, and that's what makes it so tough. That's true. I, I, now yeah. you're saying this, my memory's getting a little better. I, that, like that note just really stuck out for me. But yeah, it is that in that yeah. the fact that there's so much in there. Because you did ask, you're like, what about the tax, what, tax bill? And I had to be honest. I was like, I don't know. I just hear about yeah. the retirement accounts, right. you know. Yeah. And then I don't think people realize that, that so much gets stuck in those bills. Uh, yeah. So. And and that's tough because there are pieces that I know are very helpful for folks. And then there are pieces that I feel like aren't getting us where we need to be. And so it's good to, to really listen to the community and find out, you know, what it does the good outweigh the bad or not. Yeah. Um, the hard thing with being in the minority party is I don't have a lot of opportunity to change what that bill looks like. So we can offer amendments, but because things have become so partisan you will not see another Republican vote in favor of a Democratic amendment. It's happened twice in the two years that I saw one person vote yes. Um, And that was because they were booking their party or, you know, wanted to show how independent they were. And, you know, they probably agreed with, you know, but there's, there's things that we actually do agree on, but they're not, they're not allowed to vote on it. I hate that because it happens oh. on both sides. It, it does. And so that's like the thing. I don't know. If, not Dude, to get too I ain't your guy. I ain't your guy to be political. Yeah. I just feel like it's all just like a hot mess. Experience. I'm like, it is a hot mess. You're right. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. I, but I do think here's what I do like about you, Sarah. I, and I like a lot of things. But like, I love that you're willing to communicate with Aaron on a face-to-face level. That's where I think you kind of alluded yeah. to. But a lot of people are just like trying to hide behind something else. But like, no, like I want to hear what's important to you. I want to understand, seek first to understand, then be understood. Maybe leave that part out. But like for you, just having that face-to-face conversation. And I think that's starting to become more and more uh, obsolete now in today's age. Yeah. And so especially with social media, you're reading what what the AIs want you to read. And so that further cements you into the opinion that you have instead of talking to somebody who has a different perspective and saying, well, I mean, it happened on this podcast, like radar heights. Well, there's no sidewalks. Well, I never realized that. Like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like little things like that. If you're being honest with a human, human interaction, you can be like, oh, I, I guess I understand where you're coming from. And then together we can like think about ideas and solutions to move forward. That to me should be the political system. Yeah. It ain't. No. It ain't. Unfortunately, um, because of those that election cycle, yeah. often bills and votes are very political and they're right. about the election and not really right. about serving what people need. And so I show up on people's doorsteps. I go door knocking. I'll go door knocking this afternoon. I was door knocking last night. I try to talk to as many people where they're at um, in person, face to face. And there'll be an issue that I might have voted no on, but talking with someone, they can help show me, like, really what is the underlying thing that they uh, want fixed. And maybe that bill wasn't going to do it, but it sounded like a solution sure. to them. And saying, well, how can we really get at that solution that's going to help families or individuals with the problems they right. have? Um, and gosh, I would really like to be able to work on those things across the aisle. Right. And I think it's possible. And I think it's more possible the more 
ordinary people you have serving in those offices, not career politicians, not people who are looking to have a stepping stone to something else, Mm -hmm. but people who are doing it because they really want to serve. And I think that's where we're going to get progress. And so for me, um, trying to help other people think about running for office, trying to support that effort is really important because we need lots of different kinds of people in state government. Yeah, for sure. Because you are a big advocate of that. I I know when I'm told some friends uh, about you, I'm like, the fact that you actually wanted to get coffee and like learn about student loans and you want to talk to my wife because she's a teacher. And it's like, but you actually... It's good. I actually want to do these things. So you actually right. have proven like you want to serve and learn and hear multiple stories and that to be that people have to give. So it's a, it's really cool that you're doing that change. Well, and at the heart of it, I think everyone wants to feel that they matter. And you know, if I can do one thing as a state legislator, which I think is something I try to do as a hospital chaplain and as a minister, is to show people that they matter. Mm-hmm. And everybody matters and the things that they experience and the stories they have to tell are important Mm -hmm. and so how do you really honor that Mm -hmm. in the people that you're serving Um, and i think that's a gift that legislators can give to the people they're serving and representing um you know and it's a skill we can all work on and be better at right it's funny because i've been just thinking about questions and people want to be want to know they matter i think people want to be known and they also want to be accepted. And that's why faith has been so big in my life, right? It's because I feel like those three answered, like faith for me answered all three of those. Um, so that's super cool. So what's the future? So, okay, full disclosure, we're, we're recording this before your re-election, and then it's going to air after she's re-elected. So she's probably the next, you're going to be president, I bet. I don't know. But you'll probably be re-elected. <laughs> you'll probably be re-elected, uh, hopefully. And what does that look like first? Like just thinking about this whole process. So the next five weeks are just pretty intense. And it's been intense for me for a while. I had to actually move so I could continue to serve in this district. Oh, wow. They changed the lines. It happens every 10 years. It didn't work out very good for me. And so we actually had to sell our house, move to West Des Moines. And we've been working on this house. It's been chaos. Starting over, it's hard. Yeah. But there's always good things that come from change. And I'm door knocking constantly and working really hard to raise money because that's a big part of a political political campaign. It's not fair, um, but that's a big piece of it. Um, And then, you know, whatever happens on November 8th, I know that there are opportunities for me to serve. Right. And I don't know what will come next because honestly, I never planned on becoming a minister. I never planned on running for state senate. You could be working with us at Uncommonwealth at hey. some point. Who knows? You know? <laughs> you know, I actually thought about becoming a Thrivent um, okay. agent. There you go. Don't do that, but you can okay. definitely right. work yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> That's another financial company. Um, you know, but I'm open to the possibilities. Yeah, and, you know, fun. I honestly never imagined I'd be living in Iowa. You know, it's something that an opportunity presented itself. So I'm open to how I'm called to serve. And I really do feel like it's a calling. Um, And I just really, really hope after November 8th, I can have a break and spend time with my family. who They've sacrificed so much to let me do this. And they deserve some time with their mom who's not distracted and not um, preoccupied, gone. Yeah. Yeah, being present. And so for me, that's just the, that's the important thing. And then, you know, and even if you get elected, 
you feel like you'll have that reprieve, right? Yeah, there'll be a little bit of a break before the legislative session starts in January, but there's always things to do. And right. I have constituents reaching out for assistance all the time. Right. Just in the last week, I tried to help a family find um, drug treatment for their child. And um, there's another person with housing issues I was trying to assist with and someone else with an insurance issue that wow. they were trying to navigate. So we can help people in a lot of ways. Um, and that that's time consuming yeah. to do it well. Yeah. And to show up for people in those ways. And then I spend a lot of time learning about the community, too, so I can help mm-hmm. better. So having those meetings and site visits and things, they really educate me. But, you know, I'm I'm excited um, for the future because I've seen so many people who really care about Good. their communities. And I've gotten to meet so many wonderful folks in the course of this these last two elections um, that I feel really good about Iowa and our future. Um, but again, it's about helping people know how to use their energy and time in a way that's really going to make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I got to throw out there for everybody that people to actually go vote and do these things is because you told me when we were grabbing coffee, like, didn't hit me until you said it. And it's kind of probably, you don't, you have to like reapply for your job every two years. And you get paid for this, right? Let's hope. Yes. Um, legislators get paid $25,000 a year. Okay. And our legislative session is January through April, but sometimes it runs over, yeah. and we work all year round. Right. Yeah, don't think regardless. that you only work so four months. Most of us, if we're not retired or independently wealthy, have another job. And I'm, I'm, I work for the area's largest food pantry network, DMARC, and so they've oh, been cool. very flexible with me in how I schedule my time and sure. the the tasks that I do. So I just kind of work all the time. And Will still yeah. works at Drake? He's he's a professor at Drake, yeah. Oh, and so good. he's got wonderful students and he's doing really interesting work. Uh, he, he does actually research on marijuana legalization. So interesting a yeah. person you'd be interested in Yeah, let's go. To. He's yeah. uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Let's rock. That's so cool. That's awesome. Sarah, I'm grateful that you shared your story and I'm super encouraged and love that your heart to serve God's people in whatever capacity. I think that is uh, what a life-giving thing. There's a lot of people who have their own agenda, but to be able to serve people, meet them where they're at, pray on them, love on them, however you do, is is really encouraging. Well, and thank you for giving people the opportunity to share their story. There's something really powerful in that, and it's, it's a really great experience. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's been a great episode to start our own, the whole website launch, the whole new, new podcast name. And, and I feel like you are living your own uncommon life. And so thank you for being on the Uncommon Wealth Podcast. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And Aaron Kramer. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, go be uncommon and live your own life. Thank you so much, Sarah. That's all for this episode brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.